Chapter 24 Roy Weeks came home to Silverwood early, putting me out of my job. I didn't care. He apologized for the change in plans and said I was welcome to stay in the trailer as long as I wanted. I thanked him and told him no. Paying for the dented side on the rear of the trailer took all the money I had been able to save, and Roy gave me a quizzical look when I explained that a couple of drunks must have done it. I was glad to put the African Methodist Church behind me when I turned onto the Old Berry Road. I moved into the house on Matchadash. It was hard to think of it as back home, taking the front upstairs bedroom with the balcony and the view of Lake Kuchiching. Watch it up there, Dad had warned with the elfish look on his face that he was never able to hide when he was kidding. It's an old house. There might be a ghost or two up there. Very funny, Dad. I decided to go to school regularly, get my credits, finish the year properly, and graduate. It would make Mom happy. I missed her and wanted her home where she belonged. I was through with disruption, sick of mystery. I wanted things to be normal again. Predictability and routine suddenly seemed desirable. A few days later, I was loading up the supper dishes into the dishwasher. The phone rang and shattered my hopes. Dad took the call in the living room, where he had lit a fire, even though it was a warm night. He liked the flames for atmosphere, he said. On the phone, his words were fuzzy and unclear from that distance, but his tone was urgent. I thought of Mom right away. We hadn't heard from her for a few days. I ran into the living room. Dad stood by his chair, arms hanging loosely at his sides, the phone still in his hand. His face was white, his mouth a firm line. What's going on? I asked. That was Wade at the magazine. Wade Thompson. It's your mom. Yeah? What, Dad? She's on her way home. She's been... She's been hurt. Oh, gosh. What happened? How badly hurt? Dad sat down in a sort of daze. I pried the phone from his hand and set it on the table. Dad! I tried again. What did Wade tell you? He swallowed, his eyes focused again. She, remember she went in country to do a piece on the refugees? One of the militia bands grabbed her, held her for a day, and left her at the side of a road. Roughed her up, Wade said, but she's all right. Nothing broken. I wrote down the flight number. Somewhere. There's a notepad beside him on the table. It's here, Dad. She gets in tomorrow. Right, right, tomorrow. I knew it was going through his mind. The question he wouldn't have asked Wade Thompson, I didn't ask it either. Neither of us slept that night. In the morning, we left for the airport far sooner than we had to, only to spend two and a half hours waiting at the terminal, drinking bad coffee from a vending machine. Travelers passed to and fro, walking like zombies, trailing wheeled suitcases behind them. We didn't talk much. Dad kept jumping up and checking the monitors that listed the flight arrivals. And after the first few times, I stopped reminding him that Mom's flight wasn't due for a long while. At last, Qantas 1507 appeared on the monitor, flashing to show the plane had touched down. Dad called out to me, and we rushed the wide double door of the wide double door of Gate 5B. But it was another 20 minutes before passengers tanned and laughing and weighed down with carry-on luggage and souvenirs from Australia, began to trickle through the sliding doors. I almost missed Mom. She was in a wheelchair, pushed by a steward, 
almost invisible behind a wide man with a stuffed koala bear under each arm. There she is, I said. When he caught sight of her, Dad groaned. The wrinkled scarf on her head covered most of the cut below, just below her hairline, but not the ugly yellowy bruise, blue bruise that encircled her left eye, which was swollen almost shut. Her left arm was in a sling. When she got to her feet, aided by the steward, she winced when she took her first step. When Dad and I approached her, she tried to smile, but couldn't quite pull it off. Annie, Dad whispered, oh, Annie. She stepped up to him, put her free arm around his neck, rested her forehead on his chest, and began to cry. I put my arms around both of them. I hoped that what she felt was what had filled my mind when I left the place where Hannah walked. The overwhelming relief that things are back to normal and you're safe. It's okay, Dad whispered, his voice shaking. We're together again. Mom didn't say a word on the way home, and we didn't press her. She would have been impatient with falsely happy chatter. She sat with her eyes closed and her head back on the headrest. As soon as we got home, Dad put her to bed and sat in the armchair by her side all day. When I went to bed, he was still there, reading by the small light beside the bed. <clears throat> Over the next week or so, I watched my mother closely, after I heard her cry out in her sleep that first night. I stayed with her in the mornings until Dad got home at noon, then went to school. She spent her time reading, dozing, visiting friends, <clears throat> watching a little bit of TV. Sometimes I caught her wandering through the house, touching things as if to convince herself that she was safe now. In the afternoons, she and Dad went for a long walk. Gradually, her limp faded. On the fourth day, she threw away the sling. The bruise on her face began to recede, but the look that came into her eyes sometimes scared me. She said nothing about her ordeal for a week. Then she let it out, but only to Dad. One evening when Mom had gone up to bed early, he told me, she can't talk about it, he began. She feels humiliated, so don't ask her anything. Okay. It was like Wade said, a militia band. They're all over the place, like packs of wolves. Grabbed her and her two colleagues, teenagers with guns, out of control, vicious and unpredictable. They let the two men go right away and took your mother with them. As near as I can figure out, she wasn't very clear about this, they wanted to punish her. You mean for what she wrote? No, scum like them had no idea what she put in her articles. They were religious ex extremists, fundamentalists who thought females should stay at home, cover every square inch of their flesh with black cloth, hide behind veils and do what they're told. Seeing a woman in shorts and a t-shirt, giving orders to two guys driving a Jeep, they wanted to make an example of her. I was aware of an aching throb at my temples a wave of unexpressed rage. They mocked her, criticized her in broken English. And when she fought back, they slapped her around, kicked her, beat her up using their gun butts. When her colleagues found her the next day, she was wandering the road. They almost missed her. The militia had dressed her in a black mantle and a veil. On her forehead, they had written a dirty word in red lipstick. Dad's voice caught in his throat. She doesn't even wear lipstick, he said. He took a deep breath. For the first time in my life, I think I could kill somebody.
That's what I hate about people like that. They drag you down to their level. Dad, did they know? But she feels violated. Unclean was the word she used, as if they had raped her dignity. Don't ask her about it, he repeated. She needs to heal in her own way. As my father covered his face with his hands, I wondered, at another time or in another place, would the militia have stoned my mother to death?